Welcome to episode 95 of On the Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On the Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now, here's your host, Robbie Samuels. It's time to come out. I haven't been able to come to grips with my new identity, but it's time I share so I can find my community. It's been years of trying and failing. I kept going back to my old ways. I was being stubborn or at least going with what was familiar to me. No matter how many times I was offered an alternative, I wouldn't even consider it. And then I met Polar Raspberry Lime Seltzer and it was a game changer. That led to experimenting with other polar flavors. I'm still mostly a raspberry lime kind of guy, but recently I was in a supermarket and I was thirsty. What did I buy? Diet Coke, my old friend? A zillion other sugary options? Nope. I got a can of polar blueberry lemonade seltzer and it was delicious. I can't believe I'm even saying this, but I had to share because now when I'm out to eat, I no longer order my usual glass of Diet Coke. Instead, I get a glass of plain sparkling water, plain with a lime, of course. What? So now I know it's real. I'm a seltzer drinker. I don't know how to feel about this. Have you recently been converted? Do you remember those early days when you still automatically reached for Diet Coke and shook your head no when offered sparkling water? Is this change permanent? Will I once again find the idea of seltzer repugnant? (laughs) I'm only half kidding. I know that a small change like this is going to have enormous health benefits. So that got me thinking, what change... Have you been resisting that would help you succeed in business? What small shift could you make so you were better able to take advantage of the many opportunities and possibilities in the world around you? What have you been automatically saying no to for years that might now be something worth trying? All the spots for the summer's cohort of the Moore Program for Entrepreneurial Women has been filled, but... You can get on the wait list for September. We'll help you make the mindset shift that will allow you to take your business to the next level. Check out the details at robbysamuels.com forward slash more. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest spends her career generating positive and pragmatic solutions for people who are freaking out. The perfect hybrid of science and spirituality She guides businesses and individuals to defeat the freak out. Her methods for maintaining a positive and empowering approach have helped to reframe her entire business and her life. She speaks about the power of the words we choose and wrote about it in her book, Conscious Communications, a step-by-step guide to harnessing the power of your words to change your mind, your choices, and your life. Please join me in welcoming Mary Shores. Yay. Thank you, Robbie. It's so exciting to be here today. Mary, thank you so much for joining me from your office in Champaign, Illinois. I want to just jump right in. This is a podcast about um, building great networks and leadership. So 
tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? I think leadership means to me is like always evolving, always having my finger on the pulse. And most importantly, it's always putting my people ahead of myself. Like, you know, if you're the head of the family, you have to put everyone's needs in front of your own. And so I've always done that. I put everyone else's needs in front of mine. And I think that when I first realized I had the skills to lead was when my staff told me I did. Yeah. <laughs> it's good feedback to get because you don't always hear that from the people that report to you. Well, I was a little shocked because I remember the first time when like my company grew big enough and I hired an HR person and he was only part, he's only part-time, but he went around and he interviewed all the staff and he came back to like report his findings to me. And he was like, you know, every single person in this company is here because of you. And mm. I was like about fell on the floor. I think he had to peel me off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you were talking about leadership as sort of a, almost like having a responsibility to those who, who are following you down some path. Is that the right reframe? It's so true. Like I, I have built this incredible workforce around me and, you know, I'll be honest, I have not built this workforce because I'm the most pleasant person in the world. As a matter of fact, I'm actually quite unpleasant. <laughs> I have, I've not, I've not built this workforce because I'm the best leader or I always make the best decisions, but I've been able to build the best workforce on earth because my business is built on a mission. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you're living your life through your mission or your, your path or your purpose or whatever, like people will, they will be inspired by that. And, and they want to be a part of that because we're really living in a time and a space where it's really cool to be changing the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think people want to feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves, right? And making, making an impact, you know, like mm-hmm. how can I make an impact on the world? And the people that come to me, they love that feeling. Just like we are making change. That's awesome. So when you were even younger though, like grade school, high school, college, were you someone who sought out like leadership positions or sort of like subversively led by like organizing, you know, the playground or were you sort of standing off to the side sort of watching all this unfold and, and did people see leadership potential in you and like kind of try to push you to take these different opportunities? So I remember a couple of things, like for example, I remember thinking, you know, there used to be this old saying that, oh, if your friends all jumped off a bridge, would you jump off? Have you heard that one? Yeah, yeah. Okay, like your grandparents or something said it. But I would be like, mom, I'm the one who jumps off the bridge first (laughs) and gets the other ones to do it. So there's that. But I don't think I really honestly cared or was not, it was not in my, my realm of existence in those early days of my life to worry about things like leadership or, I mean, I would say I've always had a strong personality and, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm just sort of direct. And so I guess that that gets attention, but I didn't think in turn, in fact, I actually thought I was kind of a loser Mm -hmm. to be honest. Yeah. So you probably were like, why are these people following me off the bridge? I have no idea why they're doing that. I mean, it was just fun, right? Like life in those days was very much like a Mountain Dew commercial. Do the (laughs) I drank a lot of that in my day. (laughs) It's been a while. 
I've never drank a Mountain Dew, but I definitely <laughs> loved the old commercials that their lives were looked like extremophiles. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. So at what point did you kind of shift then and start to like, one, start thinking more highly of yourself and like taking on new opportunities like this and, and sort of looking uh, to build a, a group of people around you and think that you actually have the value to share. I mean, I found it really interesting that you have this like perspective of how you thought of yourself when you were younger. And I assume that's no longer a, a way you view the world. Well, I think that a big issue going on in today's world is when do we ever feel enough? You know, when do we ever feel good enough? And even like it's my life, my journey through life has not been a graceful one. It's been super uncomfortable at times. And I think that through certain accomplishments, it's like, maybe I pat myself on the back. But on the other hand, I remember even just recently the day it was in October, the day that my book hit number one on Amazon, I kind of looked in the mirror and said, okay, your book is number one bestseller. When is, when is it going to be enough? Mm. So I don't know that that, if that well ever gets filled, but I know that it's a journey that like self-love, self-acceptance. And I know now some really great ways that help me connect me with the fact that like, you know what, like I am just as great as every other person on the planet. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if that's a great answer for you, but <laughs> it sounds like you have an appreciation now for what you do bring that and that maybe the qualities that you didn't appreciate or were not valued when you were younger, like you're now seeing as really good aptitude for the kind of business that you're in. I mean, so I didn't mention this in your intro, but you know, you kind of come at this from a very interesting background and not one that I usually get a chance to talk about on a show like this, but you talk to people who are like, in a rock bottom situation and you help them sort of move to a new way of thinking at, at a moment that they thought there was no out, no next step. Um, and, and it was funny that your, your, your understanding of this came from your business doing collections and like your yes. words and the choices. It's, it's a very interesting perspective that this sort of human fragility that we have, you were like awash with those people and now you're learned from that moment and applied it to your own life and you wrote about it and you speak about it. So share a little bit about how that sort of journey happened for you. And, and at what point did you realize you were onto something? Because you clearly are onto something. Yeah. So the cool thing is that my entire career has been debt collections. And the, I mean, I was a telemarketer before I was a CEO. It's just kind of a big jump. <laughs> telemarketer <laughs> CEO. And I was, my parents owned a debt collection company. So of course I thought that meant I knew everything about collections um, at the age of 24 and was equipped to own my own business. I learned a little bit of, I started learning about the power of words as a telemarketer because I understood, I understood like my tonality and I understood like so much because like how I could influence this person over the phone as a telemarketer. And this was like a hundred years ago. So people were not burnt out on, mm -hmm. you know, marketing calls like they are today. Right. I mean, when you're 80 and you're sitting at home, you're like glad when the telemarketer calls you, believe it or not. Anyway. <laughs> 
So my point is like, I just started paying attention and I always wanted to be successful. And so when you're trying to be successful at something, of course, you're going to use a formula that, that works. And the thing about collections is in those days, in the eighties and the nineties, collections were really about fear and intimidation. And really the, the whole name of the game was like, pointing out to the person that they created this debt, therefore they are responsible for it and they should do the right thing. And I'm holding up air quotes for all of you that can't see us. But that like implies that someone's sort of shameful and, you know, worthless. And I wanted to take a sales approach because what I was good at in my previous career as a telemarketer, I was good at sales. I was the number one salesperson in the country. And so I thought I'm going to sell people on the idea of paying their debt. Hmm. Well, it didn't work. <laughs> there, Cause you know why it didn't work? Cause it sounds like it would work, right? Mm-hmm. It didn't. It failed. Um, it failed because I was putting myself up against the other collectors who were scaring them. Yeah. And so the collectors who were scaring them were getting the money mm-hmm. and the collectors who were selling them. It's like, maybe I'd get a commitment, but I wouldn't get the money because at the end of the day, they were more scared of Guido than there were of Mary. Mm-hmm. Right. So what I figured out was there was a deeper root of the issue and that deeper root became my mission. And my mission is that I want people to actually feel good about paying a debt because having a debt is a psychological burden and it's a burden that gets in between people and living the life of their dreams. And that burden is really this feeling of shame and unworthiness that's associated with actually having a debt. And so once I figured that out, I also started studying what words were triggering people. Now, all of this culminated right at the time of the real estate bubble. Mm. So there was like, it was like the perfect storm of what was happening in the economy that, that made what I was doing really revolutionary at a time that it was just I don't know. I I feel like it was so divinely inspired. But once I understood like these particular words are going to trigger someone's fight or flight, and I'm thinking to myself, what would happen if I didn't use those words? As a matter of fact, um, my life-changing moment came when one day I literally looked at the phone and I said, I want the next person who calls to be happier at the end of the call than they were at the beginning of the call. And I... I figured it out and I went to all my staff and I said, listen, I said, your goal from now on is not to collect money. Whether you collect the money or not is, I don't even care. I said, your goal is just make the person happier by the end of the call. And from there, like the sort of how to's and the strategy was born little by little over a very long period of time, like probably five years. Um, to the point where I could start training other companies how to do it. Wow. I, what I love about this is um, it, it really resonates with me. I work with people around how to build connections. And um, people always ask me, you know, how do, I, how do I enter a conversation? How do I exit a conversation gracefully? What do I talk about? I hate small talk. I, you know, I don't like talking to strangers. There's all these fears and angst that people have. They really work themselves up and they do a lot of that self doubt talk in their head, which, you know, those words that you should avoid using with customers or collection would be also for yourself. But what I say to them, your only goal is to leave that person feeling really good at the end of the conversation. That's so different, right? 
My motto in life is everything you say, everything you do, every word that comes out of your mouth, every action you take, every choice you make in the thinnest slice moments of life is either creating a deeper connection or it's driving a disconnection. And it's so easy to do. And it's such a trainable thing. So um, like, for example, in my training uh, webinars and my, and my workshops, that's like exactly what I teach is actually a step by step communication strategy that works in all kinds of applications in mm-hmm. life and i'm really proud of that because there's there's a, you know words can either hurt or words can heal mhm well and giving people even the time and uh, and your presence in those moments is a huge gift because we're all multi um tasking distracted disengaged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not actually listening. And so just even in a moment when people, you know, either really, really need to hear, uh, have some, you know, hear them, that's a real gift. It sounds like it's part of that process. But even in these like, you know, net, casual, more networking kind of session uh, opportunities, it's the same thing. Like people just like want to be heard and they want to feel good. And it's, it's not like salesy. It's not uh, trying to push things on people. It sounds like you came across how almost doing less like led to the better outcome rather than being like really hard selling, um, you know, being Guido. <laughs> There's steps in the human brain that like need to be checkmarked off before you can move on to the next part of the process. So one of the things that you're talking about, which is one of the things I talk about, which is the need to be heard. We all have a need to be heard. And I talk mm. about this as validation. And so like in a business situation, if you call someone and, or you have a customer or a client or whomever that calls you, or even just like your significant other, if you don't acknowledge or make them feel heard, then they're just going to start the story over from the beginning because they they have to be able to check the, the box in their brain that says, I'm heard. I can now move on to the next step. Mm-hmm. And so that's very important. And that's at the, like, that's the foundational part, like that's step one of my process is you always validate what someone says. So if someone just tells you like, oh, you know, my son just got accepted to college today, then you can validate that by saying, that's amazing, great news. I'm so excited and glad that you shared that with me. Mm -hmm. And instantly you create a connection. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's instant because it makes the person feel heard. They check the box in their brain and they're able to move forward. But if they say, oh, you know, my son just got accepted to college today. And you're like, don't even acknowledge what they say and just move on. They don't feel heard. And they might leave, they might walk away from that interaction feeling like, oh, that person's Eric. They don't know why, but yeah. they don't like you. Yeah. It's so subtle. It's so, so subtle, these little things you're bringing up. Um, I'm actually curious. Um, I guess the way I want to ask this is like, what do you find most rewarding about the work that you do today? Well, what I find most rewarding is fulfilling my mission. And there's so like, I wear so many hats and I do so many things because like I have the collection agency, but I'm also on a mission now that I feel like I need to make a a dent in the collective consciousness of how debt collections are performed in this country. And so I'm doing a lot of work within my industry to really change the face of collections is the way that I put it. So trying to change, trying to train other debt collectors 
to do what I do. Um, first of all, it's risky because it's like giving away my secrets, but mm-hmm. at this, at the same time, I just think about like the ripple effect of how many lives mm. can be healed if people are being unburdened of this, um, of unburdened of the feeling about the debt, because we have a debt crisis in our country. And the problem is the way we perceive it. And mm-hmm. if I can change that, then I just feel like I'm the person. There's no other person on the planet that does what I do. I am the person. It's and also really abundant of you to think about not hoarding that knowledge, but to think about how it will have a huge impact if other people take up what you've learned and apply it to their businesses. It really does. And so there's there's that, but then there's also this aspect because the book that I wrote is is a personal development book. And so although like I came through this journey through my original like words that work system and all of that, but the book that I wrote is very personal development and to help people awaken into their personal power, to help people understand that like purpose is not this big thing that's hiding behind a curtain and it's elusive and they can't understand what their purpose is. Because, you know, years ago when I wanted to take a spiritual path in life, I was really worried that it would not be congruent with my trade. And I thought, I don't know how to do any other job. I don't know what I would do to support myself if I have to give up my career. And so what I realized was, wait a second, your purpose is whatever is your natural born skills, gifts, and talents. And you just bring those skills, gifts, and talents to whatever is your J-O-B. Yeah. And my J-O-B was a debt collector. And let's face it, like the debt collector in the Bible was not a popular dude. So, (laughs) you know, like, what was I going to do? Can you imagine? It was a total crisis of meaning that went on for a long time until I had that like moment, that epiphany where I'm like, wait a second. And now I can share that with other people to say like, listen, whatever this is how you live your purpose in life. You are grateful. You take time every day to be grateful for your greatest skill. So whether that is you're a teacher, you're a healer, you are a mom, you are, you know, if you're a secretary, then be grateful for your gift of organizational skills Mm -hmm. because they're needed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that um, I had a moment in my life when I I realized that there was a lot of people like me that were um, organized and, you know, able to like, create you know, the logistical path of how to get things done. The, I realized that because I realized everywhere I went, there was always going to be someone in that business who like kept track of everything. And I sort mm-hmm. of had this, wow, like there's so many people like me and like we're, we're doing such a good thing, but we're all doing it really differently in like all walks of life. You need people who do all sorts of things. And um, it's sort of like the army in a different kind of way. It's like, whatever you do out there, you could do in here, but it's more like whatever skills you have, you can apply them anywhere. And being true to that is kind of the way, what you're saying is like actually like living your purpose. It doesn't matter the thing you do. It's just that you're actually bringing what gifts you have to that. Am I, Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, it's it's that. And there's also like, we could take that even a level deeper to say, you know, there's this aspect of ourselves that we sort of keep hidden. I call it our alter ego. And it's like, what if you put that part of your personality that you hide, if you put that in charge? Mm. So like, for example, in the book, I talk about this, um, I think it's in chapter 
eight, but it's like, if I were to ask you, I'll just do this with you. If I were to ask you the question, if you could be any superhero, who would that be? Um, that's a good one. Uh, well, I'm kind of prone to Superman. I'll have to say Superman. Okay. So that's really interesting because, um, as I'm looking at you, you know, you've got a clean haircut, you're clean shaven, you're, you're neat and kept, and you've got glasses and, you know, you've got that kind of look about you, but like, why would you choose Superman over say Tony Stark or Batman? What is it about Superman? Huh? Well, so Tony Stark just is kind of the anti-hero and I just don't see myself playing that role. Actually, Batman too. Are, they're both like the dark sides of of that world. Um, and I think, yeah, I like the idea of Superman sort of having, like, not trying to always be flashy. He sometimes is just, you know, Clark Kent. And sometimes he busts out a move and suddenly he saves a day and he goes back to, like, living his quiet little life with Lois. And But when needed, he will step in front of a train because that's right. what's needed. When people say Superman... This is what I hear about that. So it's like, you really nailed it because Batman and Tony Stark and like Bruce Wayne, they're kind of like, I've never heard anyone refer to it as the dark side, but like they're the flashy side. They're into the glamour. They like to live the playboy lifestyle, have the mansions, you know, they like to flaunt it around and they're having fun with this lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas Clark Clark is like the quiet hero. Mm -hmm. Clark is all about integrity and pureness and organic, you know? So I think that, and Clark is kind of the one who's the, the, the silent watcher, Mm -hmm. you know, he's like paying attention and he's ready to strike at any time. But here's what I would tell you, whatever qualities you admire in Superman. And I promise you, this is true. Those are qualities you have. Mm. And you wouldn't have picked Superman if you didn't, have those qualities. Every person picks the qualities that they feel resonate with them. And even if they don't say, oh, I don't know if I'm like that. So like for me, the people I picked, and I actually had a hybrid. So mine was a hybrid of Jessica Rabbit and um, Scarlett O'Hara. I thought for a second you were going to say Jessica Jones. (laughs) I don't even know who that is. Everybody... Jessica Jones, you gotta look her up. She, is she awesome? It's awesome because she has no cape, no uh costume, and no like alter ego. She's super strong. That's her, that's her like superhero thing. Um, she's foul-mouthed, drinks too much, um, has a day job as a as a private eye, and like is constantly not having enough money to pay for things like rent. Um <laughs> she's she's like sounds like the, a train wreck. <laughs> she is the biggest train wreck, but comes through like when needed. Yeah, um, she's like a loyal, loyal friend who like would hate you for pointing that out. Well, let me. Okay, <laughs> I would have been her in my twenties. Okay, but I'm I'm mature now. So this is what I would say. Like the reason I love Jessica Rabbit is because like Jessica Rabbit, she's tall, she's beautiful, she's curvy. Jessica Rabbit could have any man she wants. But she chooses Roger Rabbit because because Roger is a force for good. And like Mm. she loves to be that partner by his side that helps him be his force for good. And I just love that about her. And also, so I picked Scarlett kind of for the same reason this Jessica Jones. Like I see Scarlett as this powerful, like she's business brilliant, right? But you know what happened was I started to look at Scarlett and and see the reflection of my own life and not the good parts, but more like 
wait a minute, Scarlett's always got drama. Like Scarlett <laughs> is drama constantly. There's always a problem with Rhett. Someone's always dying. She's got to bury a body in the backyard. I mean, let's just face it. The girl is like chaos. So I was like, wait a second. Part of the reason I'm always describing myself as a strong woman is because I've always got all these struggles I have to overcome. Mm. And I thought, what if I could change that? So I decided to change my alter ego or my archetype. And I decided that from now on, I want to be Dorothy because Mm. Dorothy had the power all along and Dorothy has the unconditional love and support of the Tin Man, the Cowardly Lion, and the Scarecrow. Mm. She's a team. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, and like, I was like, wow. When I made that realization, I really was like, okay, I'm Dorothy now. I don't have to struggle. I am a powerful creator and I create. And it just, it created this like little mindset shift. So I teach people how to do that. I think it's in chapter eight of, of the book, but it's a really fun exercise where it's like, what would, you know, what would Dorothy do? Yeah. I think it's really true that, that the way we think of ourselves can have a profound impact. Um, I want to actually switch gears a tiny bit because I want to make sure we spend a little time talking about building connections and building networks, because I think that for you to do what you did, which is like be in this industry a long time, you've had lots of connections there. You're shifting gears. You're speaking now. You've got the book, uh, lots of different offerings that you have through that side of your business. So you probably met a lot of really awesome people along the way. And I'm curious, uh, how do you sustain those connections? Like, are you purposeful or do you have any habits around not the close inner circle, but the the next layer out of people that you sort of maybe met somewhere and you're like, oh, I like that person. You know, we don't have a chance to do business right now, but, you know, what would be the way you would do that? Or is it more happenstance? Like when you think of them, you reach out. Well, I'm really lucky in the sense that I have a near photographic memory. So I can remember things and people and like what I I notice about them. And I don't, one thing I do is um, I love connecting with people by creating connections for them. So if I know that there's something that I can do for them or someone that I can connect them with, I, I really love to do that. And also I think for me, it's just in giving people great conversations and what they need. I I mean, one of my favorite books is how to win friends and influence people. Mm -hmm. So it's just that whole idea of like providing solutions and Mm -hmm. sometimes even without being asked, not like in a coachy telling people what to do way, but just in a like, Hey, well, have you, have you ever heard of this? Or did you ever think about it this way? And Also, I feel like I'm a great communicator in the way that I try to follow a system. So, Mm. you know, a lot of times that's just like sending follow-up emails. I'm not a big social media person, so I'm not one that's going to reply to every post or something like that. But when there isn't a point where I can really make a connection, then I will do that. Mm -hmm. I have this like weird innate ability to like, cut through what's going on and somehow see through all the BS and get straight to what's really at the core of what's going on. So my assistant says I bring jujitsu people. (laughs) That's awesome. I love love that phrase. Um, Do you uh, host dinner parties or organize any kind of meetups 
or do like mastermind days or anything that kind of brings people together either in person or in an online setting of some kind? I'm actually shocked when people want to spend time with me. So I would say, no, (laughs) I don't do that. (laughs) You know, actually, it's interesting that you say that because this year I'm developing um, this concept that I'm calling my core four, because I find that as an entrepreneur, a lot of times, especially when you're in a time of transition, you can be pulled in like 17 different directions. And what you really need to do is like double down on one or two things and do those things really, really well. Mm. And right now what I am, so I have a, what I call the core four, which is the four core areas of my business that I'm working on. And it just so happens that, um, And I also have a core four in my personal life. And I made a conscious choice that relationships is not part of that. And and the reason it's important to mention that is because it means that when I I do choose to spend time with somebody, I need to be very intentional about what that looks like. So I don't go to an event unless it meets a very specific criteria. And I have to be very careful even about what invitations that I accept um, because I am just hyper-focused on certain aspects of growing my business right now. And I love to work. So sometimes it's kind of a heavy choice whether to work on a project or go to a party. Mm. This is what I noticed. People miss your absence. Mm. And I'm actually more sought out because of, because of that. <laughs> I think that it's actually, people could really learn something though from um, being more vigilant about the invitations they accept and having a really strong sense of purpose for why they're going. I think that's actually a virtue. That's a good thing for you to know that about yourself and that that what you're focusing on might change uh, quarter to quarter or year to year. Um, but most people go kind of mindlessly to various events and conferences. They feel like they have to, but they don't really have a plan. They don't know how to who they want to meet or how to follow up. And so It sounds like when you go, you probably get more out of the experience than if you were to go to everything. Yeah. So let's talk about, because I have a, I have a, an assistant, well, she's not an assistant. She's my business development director. So this is what I am sort of handing the torch to her. When she goes to an event, this is what I'm teaching her. If you go to a networking event and you're meeting people, then I like to put them in three categories. Okay. So they can either be like potential clients. So somebody that would potentially hire us. So those are clients or something that would eventually lead to money. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or they can be connectors. So this might be the type of person that can connect you with a moneymaker or the third one. And it's funny because these are all C's. The third one is collaborators. Like Mm -hmm. this is a person that maybe we would like to do a joint venture with, or maybe we would like to do a webinar project with them or something like that. So I'm sort of teaching her how to um, organize the contacts that she makes because, and I actually didn't realize that people needed this kind because it's so natural to me. I didn't even know this was a thing. So literally, I think three weeks ago, I sat her down and I was like, okay, people are either clients, connectors, or collaborators. And so for each business card you get, then I want you to write on that business card. And when you get back from the event, I'm going to have three fish bowls and we're just going to drop the fish. We're going to drop the cards in the different fish bowls to see what we've got going on. And then from there, I think that people get passive 
Like, and what they need to do is touch base with this person right away. I think it's really important to have your business card or, or your picture or something memorable about you on your business card, because let's face it, you come back with a stack of 50 business cards and you can't remember. Right. And what that is. And also like when you're in, when you're meeting the person and you do the handshake, you know, if you're looking around the room for your buddy or looking at the bar, cause you feel anxiety and you want some wine, that's not going to create a connection. That's going to drive a disconnection. But if you look at that person and say, it's so nice to meet you, you know, you're here at this event. What is your personal passion project you're working on right now? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, ask them something that's going to get them talking. Cause the minute people start talking about what they're passionate about, they will come alive from the inside out. Mary, I find it fascinating that you um, talk about being uh, very direct and a personality that people maybe don't want to spend a lot of time with, but you are such a uh, study. You have, you have so studied the human condition and know the kind of things that most people who are just floating through the world um, don't think about. I mean, you're nailing all these things. It's exactly what I would have said. And I think um, it's, it's, it's so important to be thoughtful about what impact you are going to have in the room when you go. Because honestly, you don't have to leave your house anymore to learn things or even to meet people. I mean, you and I are meeting over video right now, um, several states away from each other. So if you're going to leave the house and go through all the effort that that entails and you know, getting dressed and all kinds of done up, then you know, there should be something for your business out of that. And I think this idea of clients, connectors, and collaborators is such a wonderful sort of like way to filter those cards. And if they aren't one of those three, then you're not going to make any effort. You know, maybe you send a LinkedIn request, maybe not. But like those other three groups, you'll, my suggestion to go even one step further is to write your follow-up email draft for each one of those segments so that when mm-hmm. you walk in the room, you know kind of what you're going to talk to people about based on whether they fall in those three areas. And it'll be quicker for you to actually do the follow-up because you've already drafted something. You just like personalize yeah, it. If it's a potential client, then what you need to do is steer the direction into finding out what their pain points are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, I've taught people this kind of system. It's like, if you sell, if you want to sell people something, then you need to find out what the challenges are so that you can quickly and easily give the script of like, here's how you find the solution to that. I mean, that's just, that's just really, you know, and I, I want to talk because you, what you said really piqued my interest when you said we don't even have to leave our house. Well, something I've been thinking about a lot lately is this FOMO, fear of missing out because I notice it with some of my staff and here's like something that sort of aggravates me or gets on my nerves is if I see a person that somehow, some way, every Facebook post I see that person has liked it because what they're, what's really happening is they feel obligated on the inside to go through and like every single one of their friends posts all day, every day. And Mm -hmm. that's not creating a connection. Mm -mm. That is that is obligatory. And like, for me, like I might not be that likely to like your post, but if something that I see that you posted resonated with me, I'm going to send you a message. Yeah. A more private or more one-to-one connection. So they actually see it. I mean, the same thing with like birthday messages, you know, you wouldn't send a best friend, just like a note on their wall. You would, you would reach out to them through a phone call or a text message or a private message or an email of some kind. You wouldn't like want to be one of the hundreds Right. Similarly, like taking the time. Right. 
So, you can't even see all of those. Yeah, Mary, I'm curious how you approach the idea of diversifying your professional network and whether you see value in having diversity of every kind, like perspectives, experience, you know, obviously race and ethnicity, things like that. So do you feel like you have a fairly diverse network? And if so, did you work to have that happen? Well, my network is diverse, um, probably for just because of all the different hands or all the different buckets I have my hands in. So Mm -hmm. like, for example, I'm connected with a lot of media people. I'm connected with people in publishing. I'm connected with people in the collections industry, people that are podcasters, people who are friends. So I feel like I'm diverse in that area. Also, one of the things that I've started doing that I really love is if I'm reading someone's book or I see, you should see me when I'm watching a documentary. I write down every person's like, oh, I like what they said on that documentary. And I go find them on LinkedIn and send them a request. Well, most of the people, if I send them a message and was like, hey, I I saw you on this documentary and I really love like XYZ, what you said, like people, they accept my request. So I'm connected with people because of that all over the world. And Mm. so I I also wanted to... um, make another point too about what we were talking about with communication. So another thing I will do is instead of liking every single post, if somebody resonates with me strongly, I will invite them for what I call coffee chat, Mm. which is, and I'll only do it on the weekends. But what I love to do is, um, have like, a anywhere from like a 30 minute to an hour where I early in the morning, I go get my coffee at the coffee shop and I have these appointments set up with people. And I've just created some really cool relationships Mm -hmm. with other writers, with other creative people, um, people in other countries. As a matter of fact, um, a partner that I teach an online class with, she's in the UK, she's in London. And we just struck up a friendship from a Facebook group, but and it's worked out amazingly. Yeah, that's really smart. I mean, I think what I like about this is that you have intentionally set aside time in your schedule to do this. So you're always thinking about how to fill those slots as opposed to people who come back with a 50, you know, stacks of 50 business cards with no time built into their schedule to do that kind of one-to-one. So they like don't know how to fit it in. They, they don't have a plan for it where you're like, well, I know I have time this weekend or two weeks from now like who who should I reach out to that I'd like to do that or like oh that was an interesting person let me reach out to them and see if we can schedule something I mean I'm doing that all the time I think it's so important and I actually use um, calendaring software to make it super easy around cross time zones and all of that because it can get the the act of trying to find time can sometimes be what puts people off um, like the scheduling and back and forth emails like you know it drives me a little nutty to to have to go through that um, we're coming toward it to the end of this and I wanted to ask you. Um, It's one of my favorite questions, Mary. So if we were connecting next year and reflecting back on all of the success you've had, uh, what kind of celebrations would we be toasting to? Oh, what a great question. Well, I would definitely be, we would be celebrating the launch of my second book release. Nice. That's a big one for a year from now. That's awesome. Is there anything else that you want to like focus on in the next year? Well, I definitely um, want to focus on strengthening my brand. So branding is not my strong point. So I would really love to be celebrating that I have a strong brand and that I've got strong online courses that are really making a difference in people's lives. 
That's great. So Mary, how can people find you and follow your work? The best place, we've talked a lot about LinkedIn. So let me just tell you that if you guys want to connect with me on LinkedIn, I'm totally all about that. The name is Mary Shores, S-H-O-R-E-S. And I'm so honored, you know, if I know you know, like writers are always talking about selling their books and stuff. But if you just go to Amazon and check out Conscious Communications, I always say, if you just read the description of the book, you will know whether the book is right for you or not. So I'm happy um, if you just like, I would be so honored if you even just check it out. And then as far as connecting with me on Facebook, of course, I've got a page, Mary Shores. But if you want to interact with me, um, a lot of people join my Facebook group, which is called Fearless Ambition. Fearless Ambition. Well, we will put links to all of those resources and in the show notes, and you'll find that folks at ontheschmooze.com. Mary, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mary. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. What's the small change that you're going to make that's going to actually make a big difference in your life? Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 95, which is also where you'll find all the links from today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode with Mary, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I would love to read your review on iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then... Have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.